build your company that invests in real estate. A lot of times we we go to these gurus, we go to these people teaching, we go to these you know mentors, and they teach you how to be a real estate investor. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you're buying multifamily or single families. If you're the one that's doing it and you're the investor and you're the one that's out there doing it, if you get sick, God forbid, or if you get into an accident or you can't work anymore, your business hurts. And not only that, but then you're working in your business, not on your business, and you're just, you just got yourself another job. You are tuned in to Multifamily Mondays, the informal podcast designed to simplify and help others succeed at apartment investing. With that being said, let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mondays. I'm your host, Roderick Moneyman Jones, and this episode is a very special episode. But before we dive into the episode, I know you just heard me say Roderick Moneyman Jones. And if you haven't been on my Instagram lately, which is Roderick Jones, that's R-O-D-I-Z-N-Dog, D-I-Z-N-Dog, R-I-C-K, Jones. Matter of fact, it's not that anymore. It's Roderick Moneyman Jones. That's R-O-D-I-Z-N-Dog, D-I-Z-N-Dog, R-I-C-K, Moneyman Jones on Instagram. That is my new name. Make sure you follow me. And that whole name came about because um, last month on April 25th, I turned 27 and I said, my name is no longer Roderick Jones. My name is Roderick Moneyman Jones. And we will dive into why I changed my name to Roderick Moneyman Jones on the next show. But just know that my name is Roderick Moneyman Jones. And I'm excited that you're on this very special episode and the reason i call this a very special episode because we have our first ever guest on the multi-family mondays podcast i know i told you at the beginning of the year that i was going to start bringing you some new heat with some people who's in the field crushing the game and so this first guest is a guy who's in the field and he's crushing the game let me tell you about him his name is nitsan mosery and nitsan mosery has over 20 years of experience in real estate. He owns over $120 million worth of properties nationally and internationally. In New York, he owned a construction company. He worked on single family, multifamily, and commercial products, projects up to 300 units. Today on the show, we have Mr. Neatsign Mosery. Let's dive into it. Thank you, Roderick Moneyman Jones. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great. Taking it one day at a time, sir. One day at a time. Yeah. Let's dive into how you got started in this whole multifamily space and what made you get into the multifamily space. Sure, that's a great question. Um, so my father, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my father used to always tell us that there's two types of people in this world. Those that pay rent and those that collect. And son, you always want to be the one collecting. He always uh, had it in us. Um, you know, he also taught us that no matter, you know, anybody that had, that owned a piece of land, free and clear, was one of the wealthiest people around because you have this 
thing. You have a piece of earth that you can generate income from it in so many different ways. You can rent it. You can sublease it. You can, you know, own or finance it. You can lease option it. You can build on it. You can do so many things uh, on that on that land. So it was always drilling that into our head. Um, we also, uh, you know, so from there we went on and, uh, you know, he got us started in the uh, in the real estate business by. Um, going out and buying properties in New York where we, uh, where we were living. And then my brothers and I went and uh, we took that business over and we expanded it. And then um, I went traveling for about six, seven years around the world after my dad died. And uh, I ended up in Israel where I was flipping houses as well and doing real estate. And then in 09, when the crash hit, my wife and I moved back to the States. We moved back to Florida. Well, not back to Florida, but we moved to Florida. And uh, we, I started uh, flipping houses. And I realized very quickly that this market that we were in, this, this you know, downturn, wasn't going to last forever. And inventory on foreclosures and whatnot was dwindling. More people were getting into the action and, and whatnot. And I saw the end coming and i said okay so we need to we need to move out of this space and what's going to be the next progression the next progression would be from for me was multifamily because i always understood that people always needed a place to live and when you have a renter inside that renter will pay for your bills your mortgage your real estate taxes and if you had bought it correctly you can even make some positive cash flow from it uh, so um, I went. Now, I didn't know anything about multifamily. I knew about single families. I knew about office buildings. Didn't know much about multifamily. I uh, did not know how to raise capital from uh, investors. I didn't know how to manage assets. So what I did was I went and I found myself a mentor uh, who's doing it, who's still doing it, and I learned from him. I learned the ins and the outs of the business. Uh, I found myself a partner who was smarter than me, and I partnered up with her. And we started running 10 years ago together. Are you on the uptick? Are you at the top of that market, of that cycle? Uh, depending where you are on that cycle is where you, is what type of strategy you'll be using. Um, so, but a, the right way of doing it versus the wrong way of doing it, you know, one thing is you should never fall in love with the property. And you should never buy a property because you're in love with the property. That's that's the wrong way of doing it, right? The wrong way. Another wrong way of doing it is by um, adjusting the numbers because you think this is the right way to do it, but there's nothing. There are no comparables to prove your numbers, uh, and you're underwriting very aggressively, right? So that's that for me is a couple of red flags. I like to underwrite conservatively. I like to, you know, give myself extra cushion with my numbers. I don't fall in love with the property. I fall in love with the numbers. I fall in love with the story of the property. Why are they selling? What happened? Where did it go? What, what was going on there? So I look at all that. I fall in love with the numbers. I look at the location, right? So, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you, when we're going and we're approaching our investors and they see that we're being really aggressive with numbers, that could be a turnoff. 
right? They want us. They want to see us being conservative. That we understand the market. We understand how to move the needle at a very conservative rate in the multifamily business. And uh, we haven't looked back. Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. So you said when you buy a property, right? Um, what is the right way to buy a property, and what is the wrong way, or what? Yeah, what is the right way to buy a property? What is the wrong way? Or how do you feel sure. about that? Because I know everybody's opinion about buying a property the right way and the wrong way is different. But you've been doing it for 10 years plus now. So your opinion is obviously one of the opinions that people should listen to because if it's worked for you, it can work for other people as well. Right, absolutely. Um, and I appreciate you saying that. And that's a great question. Uh, knowing what is right and what is wrong um, or, or not right, right? The, the, there's never a wrong property to buy. It all depends on your strategy and what you're looking for. So you have to determine what your strategy is. Uh, you have to look at the market cycle, where your market is on the market cycle. Are you on the downturn of that market? Are you on the uptick? Are you at the top of that market, of that cycle? Uh, depending where you are on that cycle is where you, is what type of strategy you'll be using. Um, so, but a, the right way of doing it versus the wrong way of doing it you know, one thing is you should never fall in love with the property and you should never buy a property because you're in love with the property. That's, that's the wrong way of doing it, right? Wrong way. Another wrong way of doing it is by um, adjusting the numbers because you think this is the right way to do it, but there's nothing, there are no comparables to prove your numbers. Uh, and you're underwriting very aggressively, right? So that's, that for me is a couple of red flags. I like to underwrite conservatively. I like to, you know, give myself extra cushion with my numbers. I don't fall in love with the property. I fall in love with the numbers. I fall in love with the story of the property. Why are they selling? What happened? Where did it go? What, what was going on there? So I look at all that. I fall in love with the numbers. I look at the location, right? So, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you, when we're going and we're approaching our investors and they see that we're being really aggressive with numbers, that could be a turnoff, right? They want, us, they want to see us being conservative, that we understand the market. We understand how to move the needle at a very conservative rate just in case there are any hiccups. And there's always hiccups. Things will always go sideways in one way or another. So you got to be ready for that. And if you're underwriting extremely aggressively, you don't leave yourself any room for those hiccups. Right. So always, always look at your numbers, look at your comparables, uh, understand your market and understand what's happening in your market. Uh, and that way, you know how to project and, and create your pro forma numbers on a conservative basis. And then you've got to plan your exit strategy. Right. A lot of people, when they go and they buy, another way of doing it incorrectly is by not knowing your exit strategy, by just buying a property for the sake of buying a property. With us, when I look at a property, my the first thing that I'm looking at is what is my exit strategy? Who am I going to sell it to? Who's going to be my buyers? Is it going to be a difficult sell when I go to sell the property? Or is it going to be an easy sale? Uh, how many buyers will I have when I go to sell it? Will right. I be able to sell it at the price and cap rate that I want to? So I look at all that first, and I, then I, I reverse engineer back into the deal. Right. Okay. 
Okay. So you said something about market cycles. Um, how can one know where his his or her market is in their current market cycle, or what's some determining factors that help people understand where they are in the market cycle? Because I know that um, some some markets may be different from other markets, and the overall market may be in another cycle. But how can people really know where they fit in what phase of the cycle they're in? Sure. So that's a great question. Uh, each, you know, in, in my eyes, and I learned this from my mentor, uh, there are four phases or four different phases to the buy, to, to, to the cycle. Uh, you have what's called uh, uh, buyer's market phase one, buyer's market phase two, seller's market phase one, and seller's market phase two. Uh, and each one of those phases has their own criteria that you can look at uh, and identify a market where it is on that cycle. You can also, when you're going, you can also ask a broker. You know, hey, let me ask you something, Mr. and Mrs. Broker. Uh, your market, where do you see your market? Are there a lot of jobs coming in to the market? Are jobs uh, dwindling? Uh, is new construction starting to happen or is it slowing down? You know, all these different questions that you can find out and, and you can ask the broker and you can tell them. And, they, and those criteria will tell you where you are on that cycle. Uh, you can also ask the broker, you know, hey, uh, where do you see yourself on the market cycle? Right. Are we. Are we at the top of the market? Are we going? Are we starting to go down? Are we at the bottom of the market? Like this, you can gauge and ask several people. Ask diff, you know several different brokers. Ask uh, different property management uh, companies where they think it is. So you get a variety of answers. And if everybody or the majority of people are focusing on one answer, then you can pretty much figure it out. You know. Uh, through those answers. And then you can do your own market research as well. You know, you can go to the economic development committee uh, of your city. You can go to chamber of commerce, right? And, and the number one thing that we look for when we're looking at a market uh, is the job growth, where we are in the job growth cycle. Uh, have jobs been, uh, been announced? Have they been, uh, have they been uh, fulfilled? Are they being created? What kind of job, white collar, blue collar, gray collar, uh, temporary job. So you really want to focus and know that as well with the market. And then that could also help you identify where you are in the market cycle. My, my mentor, David Lindahl wrote a great book and I believe it's called, uh, emerging market cycles. Okay. And that's a great book for people to go and to read. And so you can understand the different cycles, the criteria, uh, what criteria is for each cycle and what, buying and, and holding strategies you should use for each one of those cycles. Um, I also talk about that on my radio show. So mm -hmm. if people want to go, they can go to iHeart.com, check out the uh, podcast. My radio show, uh, it airs live, but then it gets uh, uh, downloaded as a podcast on iHeartRadio. So you can go to iHeartRadio, uh, go to the podcast section, go to the Traveling Investor, and check for market cycles and, and you can you can hear all about that. You can go to my YouTube channel and check it out as well. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so here's another one for you. We talked about market cycles. We've talked about um, how do I identify a property. We talked about how to buy a property, uh, the right ways to buy properties. Um, so here's 
here's a question that I'm seeing in the market now. So when you're in the market and people are selling prices, uh, brokers are selling prices, uh, properties for future numbers and people are buying prices for future numbers. How do you underwrite a property to, to fit that model? Because a lot of people call me and they ask me, or they hit me on Instagram or Facebook and they say, Hey, are you seeing any deals out here? What I'm seeing is overinflated properties, overinflated numbers, um, property values going up, but the numbers don't support it. When doing a value add play, how can one, how do, what kind of lenses do an investor need to see out of to say, okay, the property is here now, it can be here, but in order for me to get it there, I need this much money to get it there. And how should they be, you know, looking to purchase it or how, you know, how do they, how do they walk through those steps by saying, this is the value of it now, this is the value that I see it can be. And what number should they purchase that or right. walk them through a value added mm-hmm. transaction or a value added deal? Okay. Uh, great question. So, you know, last year we bought, we bought three assets that were value add, strong value add. Uh, we bought them in the um, secondary and tertiary markets of Atlanta. They're really strong markets. Um, so we went, we underwrote it uh, briefly to see if it would cash flow with new mortgage and new everything the way it is now, right? That's mm-hmm. the first step, right? Because you got to make sure that when you're buying an asset, you're not going to increase the NOI day one. You go into an asset, you're, you're inheriting that cash flow, right? You're right. inheriting the cash flow and the expenses of that asset. So you have to make sure that from day one, you'll be able to cover your nut, right? You got to make sure that the cash flow covers your nut every month, right? Mm-hmm. So that you know that the new mortgage is covered and everything because you're inheriting that cash flow. Then you can push that cash flow up. So what we do is we, we, we do an initial underwriting. And if the numbers make sense going in as they are, then we'll, we'll put an offer in. But we'll also go and we'll speak to uh, property management companies that we build relationships with in that market. And then we fly down to that market so that we can drive the comparables. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, we look at what the broker sent us. But yet we go and we find our own comparables because brokers want to sell a property. That's their goal. So they're going to give you right. the best comparables. I want to see the worst comparables. I want to see the good and the bad. I want to, I want to see the range. So we go and we drive the, the, the comps in that area. We'll get into a car. We'll, we'll check out the, our property that we're looking to buy. We'll see what's going on there. And then we'll drive to different properties and we'll sit with the manager, the leasing agent, and we'll ask, you know, how many units do you have available? What size? Do you have any renovated units? Do you have any non-renovated units? Uh, How much are the renovated units? Wow, what is different between a renovated unit and a non-renovated unit? And we ask all these questions and we find out what the other properties are doing and how much money they're increasing their rents by. And then we go back and that's when we do our deep dive into the numbers. We look mm-hmm. at what the comparables are, what amenities they have, the age, you know, do they, do they have new roofs or are their roofs old, windows? We, we look at everything. We make sure that we're comparing apples to apples. And then we see, well, you know, our units are renting at 500. Theirs are renting at 700. They put $3,000 into their units by 
and uh, they changed appliances, they redid the countertops, they painted the cabinets, and they put flooring. And they got a 200, and they're $200 higher in us, uh, above us, plus the square footage is the same, age is always around the same. So now we know that we can push our rent to 700 by making our units look like theirs. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of the properties that we bought, when we were walking the property doing the inspection, the on-site manager was getting a unit rent ready. And it was a studio apartment. And the studio apartment was renting for about 550 mm-hmm. And our comps, when we did our numbers, we said, all right, you know what? The other units, the, the comps, they're renting their studio, same size, uh, for 570 you know, renovated. So we said, all right, you know what? Studios we can't do much on. So we'll just keep it at 550 to 570 $20 a increase. But when we were on site, the property manager was had already rented that studio for $600. What? So now we were like, oh, wow, we just made an extra 30 bucks, And we don't even own it yeah. yet. Oh, that is so awesome. That so, is. You have a, so now we have a property that is proving itself while we're under contract to have a strong value play. The market was strong. The numbers are strong. But we still underwrote it very conservatively. Right? We still underwrote it at 550 to 570. Because mm. if we underwrite 550 to 600, and that's what we tell our investors, and then we go 550 to 580, 585, that's still a good bump, but it's not 600. Right. So they get disappointed. Right. Oh, but you said 600. If I tell them we're going from 550 to 570, and I go, okay, 20 bucks, not bad, that, that's, that's decent, okay, we could live with that. And But then I show them that we're getting 600, they're like, oh, wow, you guys are off. Is it different? Yeah. Right? So that's, yep. how you, that's, how you, that's how you under-promise and over-deliver to your investors and by doing a very conservative underwriting. So now we know what the, what the comps are doing. We go back and we... Say, you know what? We're not going to bump it up 200. We're going to just bump it up $125 per unit after putting that $3,000 in. Okay, great. Then, once we own the property and we put $3,000 in, we were able to push it to $150. And our investors were like, wow, that's awesome. Like, yes, that's very awesome. Now, watch what we're doing. Yeah. Kick it up a little bit more. Oh, wow, you got it. That's awesome, man. Keep going. Yeah, we're going to go a little bit more. And we, get, and we get that $200 that we saw in the market, but we didn't tell that to the investors, right? Right. Now what we're doing is we're even pushing that, that envelope even a little further than that $200 bump, right? Mm-hmm. Now, these numbers I'm just, are, are just examples, okay? But, but, that's, but that's what happened on our property. We were able to pass our pro forma numbers because we underwrote conservatively. We checked the market and the neighborhood for the comparables and we saw where we could take our property based on the comparables in the area and then we went back and we underwrote conservatively and that's yeah. how you how you kind of do that value play okay 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 that 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 is amazing the, the whole even before you closed for it to even be you know, going up in, in rent before closing, before even injecting any capital to renovate the units. That is dope. That it is. is dope. And, that, and that's what you want. That's what you want. That, that's, that, that gives you 
a warm feeling inside. Yeah. <laughs> so let's change paths here. A lot of people talk about the ups, but you've been you've you've been it for over ten years. So you've seen down markets and you've seen the up market. Um, one, what is your greatest failure in the multifamily space, and how did you come back from it? And two, we'll get into two after this question. So let's just go with what is your greatest failure and how did you come back from it? So my greatest failure was believing or taking somebody's word for it without verifying, without having a backup, without having five backup plans. Mm -hmm. Um, And also getting involved with someone who... I didn't really do a strong background check on them when I should have. And if I would have done the background check, I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have uh, moved forward with them. Yeah. Uh, somebody came to me um, to be a sponsor on a 300 and something unit property uh, in Northern Orlando. Mm-hmm. And they said, listen, we just need a sponsor. We have a broker dealer who, um, has committed the $7 million that we need to raise. Uh, all we need is a sponsor, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, great, yeah. let's do it. Um, my fault, I didn't verify, I didn't check, I didn't you know, do anything. Um, their money went hard. I was, able, I was able to get the contract awarded to us. Um, and, um, and, uh, and we started moving. Uh, we agreed that their money would go hard at that time. We, we, we removed all physical contingencies and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they came to me and they said that the broker dealer backed out. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, the broker dealer backed out. You have a backup. Um, well, we have a few people. We have this, we have that, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, the money went non-refundable. You know, we borrowed that money from somebody else. What are we going to do? Oh, my God. How can you help us? Can you help us? Long story short, I put my money in. I put over, you know, I I put my money in, put a lot of money in to help them Mm -hmm. save their money, um, put more money in to keep saving the deal. They weren't able to raise the equity. I got involved. I brought this other guy in uh, who was, uh, has a family office up in Jacksonville. uh, And uh, he uh, just totally, you know, BS'd us and and took us for a ride. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we dragged it on for a year because I wasn't about to lose. We had we were about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in uh, the hole already uh, with non-refundable money. And every time we needed to extend the contract, we had to put more money in. And that's where they came to me to put more money in and more money in. Yeah. Um, and we weren't able to raise the equity. We just weren't um, because we didn't have a foothold in that market yet. Um, a lot of the equity funds want to see you have. Uh, a foothold, other properties in there, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult for us to raise the capital. So in the end, we turned around, we flipped it to another buyer for the same price that we were getting at with the condition that the sellers would release back to us all our earnest money deposit. Uh, and yeah. the seller said, yes, no problem, we'll do it if they close, but we're going to keep $50,000. That's just, you know... Um, because you dragged us on for a year and, and, you know, we deserve it. 
Yeah. I said, I said, no, I said, no problem. Now, the contract was in the other, was in my other partner's name. So I, I told him, I said, oh, and we needed uh, another twenty thousand dollars for like the last extension. And he came to me, he's like, can you do it? I said, listen, I said, I will do it on one condition. When we get the earnest money deposit back, uh, the money flows this way. First, you make your investor who put their money up for earnest money as uh, deposit. Uh, you make them whole. Then you make me whole because mm -hmm. I came to your rescue. And then whatever's left over, you take and you make yourself whole. And right. he said, OK, I had a written agreement with him and everything. And then at the end, basically what happened was he got the money. He made his investor whole. He made himself whole. And then he gave me what was left over. And I, I lost a lot of money on that deal because of that. Um, wow. So I will never do that again. Jeez. That was my lesson. That was my lesson. So, you know, you live and learn, right? Life is yeah. the most cool. But, you know, the thing is, all of, you went through all of that, but it's all part of the, you know, the story, the journey of what got you here. Absolutely. Because if you Absolutely. never would have went through that, probably wouldn't you know you you probably would make that mistake just more expensively down the road that's right you know you got you got to learn from your mistakes right yeah yeah so what is your greatest comeback story down and My out greatest, and you come back great well down and out or on a on a property wise like so like on a property wise on a property wise, like you just okay. didn't see how it was going to work. And then boom, you just come all the way back from not knowing how to put it together, not knowing where you're going to get it, not knowing how it's going to come together. And then mm -hmm. everything just works out. Yeah. Well, I, that would probably have to be the first deal that my partner, Laura, and I did together. It was a 27 unit in Leesburg, Florida. It was about an hour north of the, uh, Orlando. Mm -hmm. um, when I was when I was transitioning into multifamily, I was telling everybody I knew, all my hard money lenders, all my friends, my investors, people that I knew, blah blah blah, brokers, real estate agents. I told them, listen, you know, I'm getting involved in multifamily. If you uh, hear of anybody looking to sell an asset, you know, let me know. If you look, if you hear of anybody looking to invest, let me know. This is what I'm looking for. Blah blah blah. So. One of my hard money lenders came to me one day. He goes, listen, I have this 26 unit in Leesburg. Uh, the husband died. The wife wants to get rid of it. They're selling it for about a 17, 18 cap. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're asking half a million dollars for it. I'm like, ah, it doesn't, it didn't, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, I hung up the phone and, you know, a couple of days I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what, 17, 18 cap, that's, that's, a, that's a good cap rate. I got, I, I got to check this out. I called them back. We went up. We looked at the property. Anyway, make a long story short, uh, we put up earnest money deposit. The day our money went hard, non-refundable, we found out that um, well, when we were doing our due diligence, we saw that the agricultural, the U.S. Agricultural Department was giving a subsidy to the property, like a Section 8 subsidy for the rent mm -hmm. to the property. It was almost like 100% that the agriculture was paying the rent. The day our money went hard, the day our money went non-refundable, we found out that the day that we closed, there would be no more subsidies given to the property. Section 8, agriculture, whatever it is, 
that money would stop and the property would be worth zero because it would not have an income because the residents that were living there were old Vietnam vets, World War II vets, very ill, old people that had no money. Uh, so it was basically uh, the Section 8 of the Agricultural Department was paying the rent for, for these 26, 27 units. Now that rent was going away. But we were freaking out. We we're like, oh, my God, what do we do? But because we had a mentor, we had a coach, we had somebody that we could talk to that could help us, uh, they helped us, they guided us. And, it, and so we went back to the sellers and we said, listen, we found out that you guys knew about this, your attorney knew about this, the broker knew about this, the property manager knew about this, everybody knew about this, and no one said anything. This is a material fact that is basing the value of the property, and you withheld that information from us. So either you give us our money back and we cancel the contract or you extend the contract, okay, for as long as you can or, or, or as long as we need so that we can straighten this out. So they mm -hmm. said, and, and, and if you give us our money back, we're going to sue you because you lied, you cheated, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay, okay, okay. We'll let you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll extend it. So we started... With the help of our coach and our mentor, we went and we, uh, you know, we called the agriculture department, we called Section 8. We, we figured it out what would happen. We got Section 8 vouchers now from Section 8, not from the agricultural department, and they gave each individual tenant the voucher. And they said, listen, you know, the vouchers, these tenants can take the voucher and go to any property that they want. They don't have to stay here. We knew that they weren't moving. They, they, they couldn't afford their medication, let alone to start packing their stuff, moving, you know, mm. these people were not, um, well, yeah. right. and, and we were freaking out because we didn't want to close on a property that the subsidy would, would end. And now you have to kick 27 people, 26 people out of their homes that they can't afford that they're, they're, they're going to be homeless. So we were really, you know, that really pissed us off as well. You know, we said, we cannot have this. We can't have these people lose their homes. So we went and we dug and we dug and we dug and we went this this organization and this this uh, administration and, and Section 8 we called and we called this purple and, and, and the housing department and all that. And we finally worked on it. We got the voucher. Uh, the only thing was that the vouchers uh, were going to start a month after closing. So we would close. There would be no income for a month and then the income would start. So we finally got that done. And we're like, all right, do we want, and then we were so tired of this whole process and we were so spent because this is our first deal that we're doing. And it was like, wow, what, what, what else could go wrong? Right. Yeah. And we, we didn't want to take ownership of it. Now I had negotiated the price from $500,000 down to $400,000. Uh, and then, so what we did was we found another investor and we flipped the property to them. We gave them all the documents, all the uh, inspection reports, the lenders that we had, Everything, whatever we had, we said, here, here's all the documentation. Here's everything that we have. Look at it. Come do your walkthrough. They did their, their, their walkthrough. They looked at it. They looked at the inspections. Uh, we tacked on $80,000, so we flipped it to them for four eighty. So we made $80,000 um, off of that deal. And, yeah. uh, and they still own the property today, and they're enjoying it. They're loving it. They're cash flowing it like crazy. So that was a property that we thought we were going to lose our shirts on and we mm -hmm. fought and we came back and we made it a win, win, win for everyone. That is dope. That is dope. A lot of people would have, would have stopped after like the first half 
when you found out that the news about you know mm-hmm. the section eight and all of that they would have been like i'm out of here you know like forget it i find something easier but you just kept going kept going kept going and you end up winning I- you don't, you know, you, you know, it, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, and even then it's not over. Yeah. Even then it's not over. You know, we've we we have the philosophy that you constantly and consistently and continuously put one foot in front of the other, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep talking, and you keep asking, and you keep looking, and you keep figuring it out until you make it happen. Because if your mindset is we will do whatever it takes to make it happen and we will make it happen, then that's what you're going to do. That's what the universe responds with. Yeah. If you're going ahead with the mindset that says, oh, holy crap, we just hit a big hurdle. Oh, I don't know if we can do this. You know what? You're right. That's what the universe is going to give you. I don't know if right. we can do. This. So you got to have that mindset. You got to have that mentality. And then you got to have the fortitude, you know, the inner fortitude to, to hold it together when everything around you is falling apart, you got to be able to hold it together, stay focused, see the end goal, and continue moving towards that one step at a time. Right. That is dope. All right, I got a couple more questions. A couple more. What, you probably already just hit this, what is your greatest advice for someone starting out who's just getting started in the multifamily space? Great question. Um, get educated. Read about multifamily. Read about real estate. Read about the market cycles. Read about investing, about numbers. Read about all that. Uh, get into uh, networking events. Uh, you know, go and then find yourself a mentor or a coach that is doing it and that can help you build your company that invests in real estate. A lot of times we, we go to these gurus, we go to these people teaching, we go to these, you know, mentors and they teach you how to be a real estate investor. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you're buying multifamily or single families, if you're the one that's doing it and you're the investor and you're the one that's out there doing it, if you get sick, God forbid, or if you get into an accident or you can't work anymore, your business hurts. And not only that, but then you're working in your business, not on your business, and you're just you just got yourself another job. So you want to make sure that you find yourself a coach, a mentor, someone who can show you how to build a company that invests in real estate so that you can create a company so that you can go out and then do whatever it is you're passionate about while your ha- while your company is out there investing and buying in multifamily and creating great communities for people to live in right so read educate network um and get yourself a mentor and a coach that can show you all the pieces of the puzzle and how it all fits and where you need to go okay and then the last question where can people find you where can they connect with you because i know you offer coaching you offer a ton of resources for people that's in this space, for people that's been in this space, and for people that's just getting started in this space. So how can they find you? How can they reach out to you? How can they connect with you? Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
you can uh, you can check me out. My multifamily website is www.investwithcip Charlie Indigo Papa and dot uh, uh, com. And so again, it's uh, investwithcip.com. And CIP stands for Cornerstone Investment Partners. That's the name of my investment company. Uh, you can also check me out on Facebook as a traveling investor. Uh, same thing on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I have my radio show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's a live radio show uh, where uh, I usually feature uh, real estate investors like yourself, CEOs of uh, multi-million dollar corporations, uh, attorneys, and we talk about mindset. We talk about success. We talk about raising capital. We talk about all that. And it's thir- every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on W4CY.com. It's an internet radio station. Uh, we've got about half a million listeners. Uh, my website that I'm creating right now uh, is uh, www. Uh, the traveling hyphen investor.com and that's uh, going to talk about my uh, consulting company that you that you had mentioned uh, and uh, my radio show and, and my speaking events I, I'm putting on a workshop May 18th uh, we're going to show people how to master uh, your mind body and wallet I've got two guest speakers that are coming talk about mindset talk about health how to feed the body how to feed the mind correctly I'll be talking about creating passive residual income through commercial real estate investing. Uh, you can, uh, you know, anybody that is listening to this radio show, uh, you go in, put the code cash flow and you'll get the ticket for $97. It's in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, it's Saturday, May 18th. Uh, the link is www.thetravelinginvestorsuccessworkshop.eventbrite.com. Go there, put the, and type in the code cash flow and you get your tickets for $97. That's my gift for people uh, who take action. So that's how you can. Uh, and my email is um, nitzan, N-I-Z-A-N, at investwithcip.com. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Mr. Nitzan Mosery, thank you so much for being on Multifamily Mondays. We appreciate you really coming and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. My pleasure, Roderick Moneyman Jones. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Here are some action steps. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you rate, subscribe, and leave a review of this podcast. And the reason this is important, because I want your feedback. I want to make it better. If you can leave a five-star review, awesome. If you have to leave a one-star review, that's awesome too. But at least I know how you're feeling and at least i know how to get better at it so make sure you rate subscribe and review leave a review for this podcast and if you haven't done so yet make sure you get into the brand new multifamily mondays podcast group on facebook just go to facebook type in multifamily mondays podcast and you will see the group make sure you join and connect with your fellow multifamily mondayers and Follow us on Instagram at Multifamily Mondays. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure you follow my personal page. That's Roderick Moneyman Jones. That's R-O-D-D-R-I-C-K Moneyman Jones on Instagram. And remember, it may be Tuesday. It may be Thursday. 
and it may be Friday, but it's always Multifamily Mondays. I'll see you on the next episode.